0: Hey, friends, we hope this message from C3 Fort Worth helps you see Jesus like never before. And if you're in or around Fort Worth, we'd love to meet you on a Sunday or at one of our weekly dinner parties. I just want to pray this three word prayer that we prayed yesterday together. It's a bit of an ancient prayer, it's what the church has prayed for a very, very long time. And it's just simply this prayer Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Jesus told us not to feel like you got to throw a thousand words into a prayer to somehow make it effective. There is no there is no quota on effective prayer, and its word limit. Um, there are times where when my kiddos are upset about something and they got to say one word. Sometimes they just got to make one noise. Right? You first deal with the pain of a thing. I, I remember yesterday, Kason or Grey tried to put out a. Um, I don't know why we were doing this. A sparkler. Kaysen was riding his dirt bike in our cul-de-sac, and Gray was lighting sparklers. I don't know. I was there, but I don't know. And, uh, and somehow he put one of the sparklers out with his, with his fingers like that. You know, we just want to be guys, I guess. And, uh, and, uh, and he immediately started, you know, it took him actually it took him a couple seconds, started screaming. The first thing I did was not process with him. Like, hey, let's talk about what you did there, okay? The very first thing we did was deal with the pain. We dealt with the pain. So when there are people around you who something like what happened in Atlanta this week or, or anything that's happened over the last 14 months, and we can have all kinds of disagreements on certain things around, but the first thing you should deal with when something breaks loose in somebody, wherever it came from, is deal with the pain. First, always. Um, it, it, the life empowered to live like Christ came after he dealt with the pain of sin and sickness. So Jesus shows up and deals with the pain, and then goes, "All right, let's talk about this." And so I want to encourage you, and um, as you handle some of the conversations that end up in front of us as a church, let's deal with the pain first and foremost, and not try to somehow excuse it or or talk. It just be, everything has become so political, and we're we're just we don't live in either one of those kingdoms. We just don't. We present a third way. We present a better narrative. We present a better story. We don't pick uh, some story that's earthly made. We, 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 we talk about a better story. Amen? And so in situations like we witnessed this week and in, and in a Sunday morning service when we open our Bible, we simply say this. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Come into every street and every heart. Come into this place now as we open your word come into our lives as we deal with difficult conversations, as we love people, in scenarios and situations that we don't even fully understand. Let us be people who invite always, in every moment, the comforter, the advocate, the counselor, the speaker of truth, the one who reminds us of Jesus. Amen. So I want to just pray this. And you can pray this out loud. You can pray it in your own. You can pray it however you want to pray it. I'm just going to pray this simple prayer. and, And we're going to jump into the word this morning. You ready? Here we go. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. As we open your word, as we open uh, what points us to Jesus, let us hear, know, see. Lord, let us see things we haven't seen before. Let us hear things we haven't heard before. We rebuke and and speak against every other thing that would try to distract us or dissuade us, who would try to somehow manipulate us or convince us of something other. But I pray that we keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And when we consider the things you went through, our faith will never grow weary. So God, we love you. We worship you. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come right now as we open your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can go to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. Just got a few minutes. Um, it's just been so good. I, it's like every week I get up here and go, we don't have that much time. And I'm like, well, we've already had church. Uh, I'm just giving you the bonus. Uh, but John chapter 12, I believe a healthy life in Christ is one filled with worship and word. And, and again, I'll say this because I think it's important. Uh, we read scripture through the lens of Jesus. Jesus is everything that scripture is pointing to. And, and so sometimes we can make this, and I understand it. Uh, I understand why we say this. We talk about this as the guidebook for life. And that's fine if what you're saying is that I read this and find out who Jesus is, and it shows me how to live life. Does that make sense? So we don't hold up the Bible to people and say this. We go, the Bible holds up Jesus. The Holy Spirit points to Jesus. What is the Holy Spirit's purpose? To remind you of the things Jesus has said to make you more fruitful like Jesus was, to give you gifts that Jesus employed, that you and I would look more and more like Jesus as the Holy Spirit is more and more at work in our lives. So that we read this. So that's why we've been really heavy in the Gospels during this Lenten season. If you've never done Lent, I really have never done Lent. We've kind of decided as a church over the, this year to do the, the seasons of the church, and it's actually been really, really uh, cool. And, uh, and so we've preached things even that I've never preached before. Last week, I think it was last week. Yeah, last week, we preached about the snake on the stick. How many of you have ever read, and you can go back and watch it, but how many of you have ever read John 3:16? And like, you know John 3.16, you might even know John 3.17, I did not come to condemn the world, but right, to save the world, uh, if, if you do not believe in me, you are already condemned, that's an interesting phrase, but the, you all, we all know those verses, do you know that in 3.14 it says, the Son of Man must be lifted up like a snake in the wilderness? Why don't we ever say that one? I tell you why we don't say that one, we don't understand it, it's one of those weird ones that you'd rather not say to your friends. Like, let me tell you about Jesus. He's like a snake on a stick in the wilderness. (laughs) Cool. Thank you for that. Appreciate (laughs) your expertise of the scriptures. And it alludes to an even weirder story. I'm not going to preach it all again. Uh, But the idea was that snakes had bitten people of Israel. God tells Moses, lift up a uh, a bronze snake on a stick. And you see that now, even in the medical field. you see now that's a symbol of, of health and, and so uh, And what, what it says is that when you look upon the, the snake on the stick, you would be healed. And then he compares that to him being lifted up on a, on a tree, crucified for us, that when we look upon Jesus, we would find healing. Not judgment, healing. When I look upon Jesus on the cross, I should become free and whole. Because love has no comparison. To, that, he, that is love. There's no other comparison in the world. It's a definitive revelation of love to us. And a decisive victory over death. And we're going to talk a little more about that today, so let me get into it. John chapter 12, we got a lot to cover in a little amount of time. And Mary told me not to steal her thunder at the end of the service, so I'm going to do my best. John chapter 12, I read typically out of the HCSB Coleman Christian Standard Bible, just because I want to make all of you go buy a new one. Because nobody has that. (laughs) All right. John chapter 12, verse 20. And it says, now some Greeks were among those who went up to worship at the festival. So they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and requested of him, Sir, we want to see Jesus. Love that. You don't know us. Our vision, our desire here in this church is that people would see Jesus. Full stop. That's the desire. That we don't feel like we have to save people. We believe that if we can show them who Jesus really is, there's just no contest. And so our desire here is that on every street and every heart, people would see Jesus. That they would see who he is, how much he loves him, how much he cares for him. And these Greeks show up, and they go, hey, we want to see him. We want to meet this guy. We heard about him, like, throwing stuff around in the temple and making room for the Gentiles. What's going on here? Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Now, that's an interesting part here because um, have you ever felt like someone asked you to tell them about Jesus, and you're like, let me go get my buddy, right? I, I think sometimes we just don't understand the link in the chain that we are. The, it's interesting that the Greeks came looking for Philip. Um, some, there's a couple different theories on why Philip. Why Philip? Why are these Greeks coming to Philip? Number one, you understand that when they say Greeks, they're not just talking about where they're from. They're also talking about, most likely, their worldview. So they're giving you an idea. To say it the way they said it is to say they are searching. Greeks were notorious for searching out all different kinds of religions and beliefs and and, and different worldviews. And so they, they were thinkers and seekers, and they wanted to know all of it. So these Greeks had come along. some theories are that that they were uh, they, they had kind of decided that they were with this you know one God kind of idea, this this singular God, and that Jesus might be it, but they weren 't sure um, that they were looking we don 't know if this was the twelfth religion they had looked up or this was the first we 're not really sure there's some ideas that that in the two-day gap that we see here before this moment, that possibly that was when the tables were turned. And remember, what did the tables turning represent? There's a few, other, few things that happened here, but the tables turning were Jesus cleansing the Gentile court. He was as far away from the inner courts of the temple as he could be, cleansing the way where Jews had taken up residence where it was meant for Gentiles to come and pray. It was as far into the temple as Gentiles could come, Jesus prophetically cleanses the table, and he begins to make this decisive declaration that, hey, I've come for all people. It's a really powerful view, right? And so these Greeks are going, wait, who is this guy who could come in and cleanse the temple, which was also a messianic prophecy, that he would have the authority to make room? And so they're going, okay, this dude either is really just got a death wish, and he just wants to, like, get in trouble? Or there's something else about him. And so they come to Philip. Philip, this name Philip, has a bit of this Greek to it. So they would have recognized the name. They would have felt familiar with something about Philip. Some say that because of the festival going on, that maybe they'd met Philip at some point. So there's this familiarity. Don't ever discount your familiarity with people. And don't ever... Don't ever stop seeking for common ground with people. We ended up last night, after we had hung out with some friends, we, we ended up last night hanging out with two other people that we just randomly walked by. And uh, they're friends of ours, not random people. <laughs> we're such good evangelists. Uh, no, they, we just walked by and they were in the window. And we we're like, oh, okay. So we went and sat down with them and we spent another hour and a half with them. And we talked about all kinds of things. And uh, and and if you were to if you were to I don't know if you were to try to put them on a scale on a measure where they stand politically or socially or whatever you would say you'd say left of center for sure and uh, I think it's a bad way to judge people please don't do that um, and so we begin to talk but in our conversation you begin to realize that we're all a little bit fed up with the idea that we demonize one another. That we, that we think, because you don't think the way I think, that, there's a, <laughs> that, that hell is at work in you, you know? With the, it's, it's wild to watch people be just as fundamental on both sides. Yeah. To, to watch people begin to think that I'm good and you're bad. Instead of realizing that there's good in you and bad in you, just like this guy. That we all have things we're wrestling with and we all have things that we're victorious in, and we all have things that we need to work through. And the more we can do that, the more human we'll become. And in our humanity, we'll begin to identify with Jesus because he identified with us. And so there's this, this thing with Philip where this, this familiarity. They saw Philip. They said, okay, I'm going to go check out. I'm going to go ask Philip because maybe... Maybe he knows and he, you know, he's from the same city or he's, he's got the same kind of name or he's, he's got this, the same kind of background. Or he's, there are things in your life that you've discounted, I'm from there so, or I have this name so, or I didn't have this so. And we begin to make distinctions about ourselves and we use them as ways to beat ourselves up rather than ways to find familiarity and common ground with those who need someone to point them to Jesus. And there are people coming to you that will never come to me. There are people coming to you that will never come to the person sitting next to you. They're coming to you. And if we can get rid of this myth that the person standing up here has it all together and knows scripture better than anyone on the planet, the people I've learned the most about scripture rarely ever preach. They're just, they love the word so much. They just sit it. I, I remember even thinking about uh, Bradley, his grandfather just passed away recently and thinking about, he handed me a book, a Bible that's like 70 years old or something. It's awesome. And all his notes are in there. I'm like, oh, this is so awesome. And, and there's, there's this, there's something about when, you know, when you're really strong and you know it, you don't have to prove it all the time. There's something about realizing that God's given every single person in this room an ability to love their street in a way only you can love it. I'm not good at the things you're good at, and you're not always good at the things I'm good at. And that's a good thing. So don't discount the familiarity you have with certain things in your past or background or place that you came from or whatever else it might be. Begin to realize that it actually might become a bridge for you. That it might actually be the thing that causes someone to come to you and not Sunday morning church. They come to you and not to some Bible study because they don't even know what that is. They come to you to find out, hey, can you tell me more about Jesus? And you might in that moment have to go, can I... Phone a friend. You might in that moment have to go, let me take you to this friend I know who seems to have a better in with Jesus than I do. And Philip goes and grabs Andrew. Andrew, and they go to Jesus. Now, I, it's written in a way that you could make the assumption that the Greeks were told to hold on for a second. It doesn't say that the Greeks went with them. It says that they went to Jesus. Almost like they were going to check with Jesus. Like, hey, you have time. There's a couple guys that are asking for you. They're really curious. They want to know more. And this is why it's it's important because of Jesus's answer. Jesus doesn't give them just, yeah, I'll be there in a minute. He doesn't say, bring them over. I'll talk to them for a second. Hey, when I finish this, we'll talk. He gives this really kind of crazy answer to a simple question of, I want to see Jesus. I want to see Jesus. And Jesus gives this It's almost like one of those things where you were to ask a friend about a topic and they just give you like a 27-minute diatribe around this thing and you're like, all I wanted was like a yes or a no. Right? Anybody have that friend? I am that friend. Okay, I know that. I am self-aware enough. Some of you will not pick up my phone calls. It hurts. So Philip went and told Andrew. And Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus replied to them. Okay? This hour has come for me. The hour has come for me, the Son of Man, to be glorified. Now, there would have been like a, a group, like, oh, yes. Because they would have thought, now he's going to show that power and that, like, I'm going to, I'm going to dominate. I'm going to, I'm going to bring the kingdom by force. And I'm going to, I'm going to show up and knock some people out. And I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do another table flipping. And I'm going to do a bunch of table flippings and like a lot of them because the temple is 35 acres big. Uh, you know, it's like 27 food courts. Like, come on. I know Jesus is strong, but this is too much. And, and they're all going, oh, this is when This is it. He's going to be glorified. And then he begins to expand on his definition of glorified. He says, I assure you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces a large crop. The one who loves his life, holds it so close he never plants it, will lose it. And the one who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternity. If anyone serves me, he must follow me where I am. Now, this is a big statement because he's saying if one doesn't die, if one doesn't give their life, if one doesn't let go of their life, if one doesn't leave their life, then in that moment, in that moment, you've got to follow me to that place. This is where it's like, hey, I'm so glad we've got guests in the building. Because uh, Jesus said I should die and you should all go with me. Now, there have been movements and groups of people that have taken that far too far. They have taken it to a place where they have not valued the statement of Paul to live as Christ, to die is gain. To live as Christ is to, to be one who brings heaven into earth and realizes that that is just as good a calling as to end up in heaven someday. That to be a person who looks like Jesus in this place and on earth is just as valuable and just as important. That I would live this life with everything I got, and when I die, I will still have life. It's quite a uh, statement. It's quite a worldview. It's quite a way to approach life day in and day out. Is to realize the gift of this life, and to realize that even when this life is gone, I still have life and Jesus because they talk about the seed planted they're going wait, wait, wait this is not you said the son, son of man would be glorified what do you mean that we're going to be planted and that unless we lose it we'll never find it and if, if it doesn't fall to the ground nothing will happen it, it, there's almost like what he's saying to us here is is that is that it's when we plant our life and give our life that is when it becomes fruitful I feel like culture tells me something very, very different. That if I would hold on to this and keep adding things to it and keep pulling more things in and keep getting more security and more certainty and more comfortability and more, if I could just get all these things, then all of a sudden I will be fruitful. And Jesus just flips the whole thing on its head and says, no, to give your life fully away, in those moments you will discover what life really is. It's why you, even in our Alpha course, you're listening to people. There's a, a lady who has lived, I think it's been 30 years in Hong Kong, and you guys can correct me, but um, later, not now. And, uh, and, she, and you're going, why? Why? Why would you? And there's something about her, even this Franciscan priest, talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And you can see this, is talking about how you can see this joy in him. And here he is, he's given his whole life to this thing. He counsels the Pope. I know somebody like, whoa, I didn't even know that all existed together. And, and, he, and, and he, what, what is it about that? It's, it's, and it's almost like it's one of these things where it's like we don't fully understand what life is until we truly are really able and willing to give it away. He's telling us a solution to this consumeristic, kind of grab everything you possibly can and still be unhappy and dissatisfied type of culture. He's right now already telling you, you can get all that you want. You can hold on to the grain and the seed as long as you want, and as tight as you want. But I'm telling you, in your hand, it will never bear fruit. And the promise here is not, yeah, just live ho-hum, shoulders sagged, head down, beat up about life because you're giving it away. And how to, no, His promise is that in your death, you will find resurrection even now. You will live with a different view of what the future holds. You will live with a different understanding of what each day means, and you will breathe in and out differently because the meaning of it and the purpose of it has such a different tint. All of a sudden, you're looking at it through a different facet, and you're going, whoa, I didn't know that life looked like this. When I give my life away, that's when I get my life. That's when I discover what life really looks like. And then he says this. Now my soul is troubled. What should I say? Father, save me from this hour? You can almost catch a hint of like, what a, why would I pray that? This is the reason I came. And yet he's being honest about his soul being troubled. John does not record the prayer in Gethsemane, the drops of blood. So this is kind of his allusion to Jesus struggling with this mission and this call. If you've ever had doubts and frustrations, do not think that you don't fit in this story of the Bible. The story of the Bible is littered with people who have struggled to believe God for what he said he would do. All the way throughout. I mean, don't read the Psalms if you don't like lament, doubt, frustration. and Don't, don't, don't look in these stories. If anything, these stories should encourage you that even in the dark night of the soul, that almost, And if you were to read through the story of Scripture we'll, on Easter Sunday, which is in two weeks, I should mention that. That so many things that God did, He did in dark places. So many of the things Jesus did, He did in dark moments. Mary discovers an empty tomb while it was still dark. There, there are so many things. That at some point, when we get to the place where we have nothing left, almost like we have lost all the ability to hold on to our own life that we discover that he is close and we begin to live new fresh vibrant not because we denied it but because we understood it fully for what it was that when I die to trying I live in grace so Jesus says this really amazing kind of statement. He says, I, now my soul is troubled. What should I say? The Savior of the world. Realizing that when the Greeks came, it's almost as though John is writing to primarily the Greeks. So John is, is, is telling you that when the Greeks showed up, when the Gentiles showed up, it was clear to Jesus. Jesus read the signs and the times. He understood. He discerned what was going on. When John the Baptist started baptizing, he went and got baptized. When John the Baptist was, uh, Baptist was arrested, he started his ministry. And when the Greeks showed up, he said, it's time. Jesus watched as people were in their progressive journey towards God. And, the, and as these moments happened, he moved. Okay, now's the time. Okay, now's the time. Okay, the Greeks are ready. They're searching. Okay, now's the time. I want it now. I cleared the temple, now they know I'm for them. Okay, now is the time. Now I'm going to be lifted up and his glorification was both to the throne but on the cross. That's why you can never separate his ruling and reigning from the cross. It's why the ancient church always put him on the cross, and that offends to some degree our senses, but what the disciples always preached, right? What does Paul say? The cross of Christ is foolishness. Why would the Savior die? Because he's telling you that life isn't found in trying to hold on to it, but in giving it away. And through the cross, we find resurrection. Jesus, oh, should I just, well, no, this is why I came. This is why I showed up. This is the hour in which I will glorify the Father. And then a voice from heaven. Man, I love the relationship between God the Father and Jesus the Son. And the voice came from heaven. I've already glorified it, and I will glorify it again. In other words, you've been doing a great job so far, and you're about to do the greatest thing you could ever do. It, you, you're doing a great job, son. Keep cranking. Keep going. And when you get up, when that cross happens, I know it's hard. I know it's, but but you will glorify me again, and people will be drawn to the love of God through Christ the Savior. And the crowds standing there heard it. Said it was. Like thunder, others said that an angel had spoken to him. Jesus responded, the voice came not for me, but for you. Now is the judgment of this world. Now this, too many of us put it in this realm. Now is the judgment of people. We kind of almost go, yeah, this is our time to judge people for all their failures and all their sins and all their mess ups. But judgment of the world would be just like what he says in the next part. This is a judgment of the spirit of this earth. The kingdom that has tried to set itself up in place of the kingdom of God. The kingdom that has tried to usher in my kingdom without me. Tried to make life good without me. Tried to do all the stuff without me. Tried to have a kingdom with no king. And Jesus said, I've come to judge the spirit of this world and to cast out Satan and to say, done, you're done. I've come to win victory because these are my children. They're my creation who I love them, and I care for them, and I would do anything, even to the point of death, to remind them every day that they are loved, and they are mine, and there's nothing anyone can ever do to change that. I judge this world. In other words, there's another word that judgment would mean crisis. This world is in crisis, and so I'm going to cast this spirit out, and I'm going to come up on the cross and to show everyone what it looks like to know, faithful, consistent, always unconditional love. And then he says this really, really powerful statement. As for me, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. Here's what the end of this all speaks to. We start the story with the Greeks showing up, asking Philip, hey, can you help us see Jesus? And they don't take the Greeks. They go, hold on a second. We're not really sure what's happening with them right now. Let's go check real quick. So the disciples go, and they come to Jesus, and they go, hey, there's two Greeks. They're looking for you. Um, I think this is like their 13th religion they've been checking out. Really smart guys, sharp guys. We think they're really close to deciding to follow. Like, we think if you just sat down with them, good. They'd be good. They'd be all in. And Jesus responds, not with, well, let's find a table. Let's go sit down. I'll do my apologetics feel, right? Jesus goes, let me tell you guys something. Unless... A grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies. There will be no fruit. If you hold on to your life, you will lose it. But if you let it go, you will find it. The hour has come for me to be lifted up so that I can draw all people to myself. Okay, yeah, Jesus, I'm just, about the Greeks, though. Like, do you want to sit with them or not? What is he trying to say? How do we see Jesus? Jesus. Here's what Jesus is telling Philip, he's telling Andrew. The best way to see who I am is to look at the cross. The best way to see how much I care for them, what I would do for them, the way I love them, the forgiveness I have for them, the way I want to welcome them in, the way I want them to know grace and truth and life and hope is not to necessarily come and explain all the works I've done and the healings I've done and all the things I've done, but to see me on a cross spread out, crucified, beat up, broken, so that they would know there is nothing I wouldn't do, that death can't hold them, That love is overwhelmingly, always convincingly victorious. That they would know in every season and in every doubt and in every discouragement and in every cultural issue and in every single intellectual battle we try to fight on Instagram that the best way to show people Jesus is crucified on a cross, fully in love with his creation. To say, I love you. And there is nothing that can ever change that. And come midnight, I'm going to start rumbling in the grave. The angels are going to roll it away. And I'm going to confirm everything I ever told you, that in three days I'd build up this temple that didn't exist in some brick and mortar, but existed in the people that I've created because I want them to carry this same kind of love and grace, this self-sacrificial, not self-aware, self-aggrandizement, self-sufficient people, but this self-sacrificial people into the earth to love people like this. Hey, I want to see Jesus, okay? He died for you. I want to see Jesus. Man, he loves you. I want to see Jesus. He's been crucified for you. I want to see Jesus. That's how you see him. And if we're telling anybody anything different, then we are shortcutting the way to resurrection life. We are circumventing the cross. The cross is not meant to be a thing that weighs you down. It is meant to be the very thing that sets free because it is not aligned with any kingdom of this earth. In fact, it is in direct opposition to every kingdom that tries to set itself up without love and faith and hope. This kingdom is the kingdom that shows love at all times. It's the kingdom that says, I die so that I might live, and you can too. The expectations, the shame, the guilt, the doing right, doing wrong, all I give my life for you. I want to pray over you. I want to pray over us as a church. The team's going to come, and we're going to worship a minute. Mary's going to come and let you know of a few things. So don't bail on us just yet. But I wanted to go shorter, but I just eh, think you guys are good. We're fine. It's a beautiful day. you got time. God I thank you so much God I thank you for Jesus Holy Spirit speak right now speak to our hearts speak to our minds let us push back against every agenda not with some arrogant retort or some intellectual spiel but with the cross of Christ let us apply this sacrificial love to every person in our world. Right now, I pray that where we have thought that to win is to exert power through force. Let us begin to understand that to have victory in the kingdom is to exert trust in the cross that has won the day to be still and to know that you are God. And I pray wherever people found themselves in today's reading, wherever they found themselves, whether it be Jesus' prayer, shall I just ask the Lord not to do this? If it's the Greek saying, I just want to see Jesus. If it's in the laying down your life that you might find it. If it's in the final revelation of Jesus where he says, this is when I will draw all people to myself. Wherever they find themselves, let them find you. Let them find you now. I just want to lead you in a prayer. If you say, I want to see Jesus, you can. If you say, I'm, I'm struggling with doubt and discouragement, you can still see him. If you're saying, I, I want to know what it is to give my life, he can show you. But that's you this morning, you just right now, just right now, even in your own words, in your own heart, say, Jesus, I give my life to you. Don't hold on to it. I don't hold it so tightly. You can't plant it in the earth, watch it break through. Even in the challenge, God, I surrender. And I trust. Because you love. Because the best way to see you is to see that sacrificial love on a cross. I was just going to give you 30 seconds. I just want you to ask this one question. Holy Spirit, Speak. Holy Spirit, give me something. What do you want me to hear today? What do you want me to do with today? I'm not the only voice here. Come on. In fact, I'm definitely not the most important one. So I'm going to give you 30 seconds, and then we're going to go into worship and close out today. Just 30 seconds. I just want you to ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do with what I've heard today? Trust me.